I don't, I don't even understand that question. I, I don't. So, because <laughs> you're, you're asking two questions. So, re, say the first part of it, and then I'll address the second part of it. Just What's your first. plan to continue to support Nebraska low unemployment rates? Oh, all right. Uh, to, to support our low unemployment rate, to continue to support it, we got to continue to make, bring great jobs here. Now, we may, again, have a low unemployment rate, but I still know a bunch of folks who ain't working. And I know people that are working that gotta have two, three jobs. You know, they gotta work two, three jobs to make ends meet. So we need to do uh, more things to bring and create some jobs in this, uh, in our community that allow people to be able to work just one job and uh, earn earn a, um, a living wage, yes. But we also have an aging workforce. And we do have an aging workforce. However, however, I think um, particularly, you know, the greater Omaha area has done a, a, a fairly good job in the last 10, 15 years of doing things in the city to attract, um, and I'm talking about having places to live, the arts, you know, having uh, things to do other than work, you know, um, places for people to go and have fun and hang out. I think we've done some things around attracting those kind of folks. Uh, we might not do a great job of keeping them, um, but we have done some things that are better around um, trying to keep folks here. Um, I guess my last question for you would be, how, I guess, what, what would be your message to um, <laughs> I mean, what would be your message for individuals in our community that are on a fence about voting and getting into the process? Oh, that's a great question. All right, this is gonna be our last question of the night. Yes. Because I've been at it all day. Yeah. It's time to. Uh, I actually got to go do some work. I got to go do some restaurant stuff. But to go, um, I, I hear that all the time. My vote doesn't count. It really doesn't matter. They're going to do what they want to do anyway. If that was really the case, that your vote didn't count, if that was really the case, would uh, the Republican Party still stand behind the president knowing all the wrong things that that man does? If it really didn't matter, if it really didn't matter who's uh, in Washington, and who controls the White House, and who controls the Senate, and who controls the House of Representatives, and that really did not matter, would they be doing all the things that they do in support of that man? No, your vote does matter, and you not voting is exactly what they want you to do, not vote, so that your voice does not get heard. And if we want to change the direction that this country is going in, if we truly want all of our voices to be heard, we have to go out and vote. That's where the power is in this country. It's in who we elect locally, who we elect um, uh, uh, as a president, who we elect at Congress. Your vote does matter and stop believing the lie that it does not. Voter suppression would not be taking place if it didn't matter. Thank you guys for so much for tuning into the show. This has been Real Talk with Ms. Gladys Harrison. Uh, congressional candidate for LD District 2.
see that green, you see that green stuff on, on the thing? You see that? Oh, that people? Yeah. Well, I can't see that far, so, hey, see whoever's up there. Even with my glasses, I can't see that far. But you don't have to be desperate for you already how to do this. But like, when we talk, do I look forward or do I turn to you? Well, I feel like when you're answering a question, what can I say? How y'all doing? Thanks for tuning in to uh, Willie and Terrell Real Talk Podcast Live with Willie and Terrell. Um, tonight we have a special guest, congressional candidate Gladys Harris Harrison. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Terrell. How are you? I'm good. It's good to have you on. Good to be here. Um, before we get started, just introduce yourself. Tell the people who you are, what you're running for, and why you're running. Well, first of all, thank you, uh, Terrell and Mr. Hamilton, for having me here tonight. Uh, my name is Gladys Harrison. I am the owner of Big Mama's Kitchen and Catering. I am Big Mama's number four daughter. And I'm running for Congress because there is not enough people representing us in uh, our government right now. And when I say us, I'm talking about the hardworking Americans who go out here and work every day. I'm talking about the farmer. I'm talking about the small business owner. Who's looking out for our interests? Who's out there ensuring that legislation is being passed to create more opportunities for us? And nobody, no, not very many folks are doing that in Washington. And so I want to go uh, to Washington and create some opportunities so that we all can have a seat at the table of our government so that all of our voices get heard. And um, I know for a fact that right now there are large segments of our, of our society uh, whose voices aren't being heard. We're being drowned out by uh, big business and special interest groups. And in the meantime, it's getting harder and harder for us to, to make ends meet. Great, great. We're gonna jump right into it. So what are your top three uh, campaign issues. Okay, so everybody tells me that I should only have three, but three is not enough So there, because there, there's too many issues. So I have five. And, and they aren't in any particular order. Uh, the first one is jobs. You know, we uh, need to create a job market in this country where people can work one job and be able to earn a great living, to raise a family, buy a home, buy a car, go on vacation, those things that we used to be able to do 30, 40 years ago. In this economy that we live in, um, most of us have to work two, three jobs. The, the other thing that goes with jobs is, uh, what are we gonna do to create opportunities for the job market of tomorrow? As more and more jobs get automated, you know, what are we doing to prepare ourselves and our children for the job market in the future? What is it gonna look like? You know, how are we going to create that? How are we going to train our kids for that? We need to start thinking about those things and training ourselves so that, quite honestly, we have a place to work. And a perfect example is the grocery store. The last time you went to the grocery store, who rang up your groceries? You. Me. You sure did. <laughs> you sure did. Um, there was a time in this country that when you went to the grocery store, someone rang up your groceries. 
someone bagged them for you and someone took them out to your car. Um, nowadays, you do all of those things and you pay way more for the groceries than you ever did, you know? And, and what happened to that money? All that savings that they're receiving because you're now doing everything? Who, who's getting the money if not being passed on to you in, in savings, you know, how, how much your bill is? Where's that money going? Going to big, big, big business pockets. So. It's going to the shareholders and the folks that, that own those companies. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. You know, um, the CEO of a company, that's his job to increase the profits that a company makes. And CEOs, you know, make sure those things happen. But who's looking out for the worker? Who's looking out that the worker gets treated fairly, you know, and that they get their incentive and that they get their dividends? Who's doing that? So jobs is um, uh, one of the things uh, that I'm running on. Uh, education, and I say it all the time, this country used to crank out some of the most um, intelligent, innovative, creative, problem solvers, thinkers, uh, and that doesn't happen anymore. You know, we've got kids who graduate from high school who can barely read. We have kids that um, we're told go to college, go to college, go to college, go to college, go to college and who graduated with college with enough debt where they could have bought a house. <laughs> and can't get a job. <laughs> and they can't get a job. And if you do get a job you got, with your college degree, you still got to go get two jobs because one job's not going to pay you enough uh, to pay your student loans back. Um, taxes. Uh, taxes are not distributed fairly in this country. And they aren't. I know this personally. Um, you know, I can tell you many stories about folks who, my sister, for example, um, who's a nurse. And she only had one child and her daughter's grown. Her house is almost paid for. And, you know, she makes an okay salary because she's a registered nurse. And last year she owed um, over $5,000 in federal income taxes. Meanwhile, a company like Amazon had $11 billion in sales, and that's great for Amazon, but they pay zero federal taxes. And how fair is that? Um, and, and I'm certainly not talking about um, taking anybody's money away from them and, and giving it to someone else. I'm just talking about doing what's equitable and doing what's fair and everyone uh, paying their fair share. That, those are things I'm talking about. Um, so I said jobs, education, uh, taxes, healthcare. Uh, healthcare is a big one for me. I don't have healthcare insurance currently. Um, we need an option in this country for those who do not have insurance and those who, because they can't afford it, and those who do have access to insurance, but again, they still can't afford it. If you have insurance and you like it and it's great and it's affordable, wonderful for you, God bless you. You should be able to keep your insurance. But for the rest of us who do not have that or who are struggling to make insurance premiums, we need an option. Um, one of the ways that I'm getting to know people and get my message out there and what I'm all about is um, I ask folks to host a house party. 
and that's just where you come in and invite you. I come to your house, you invite your friends and family, and we just sit down and talk just like we're doing now about the things that concern us. And there was a story um, that one young woman told me. Uh, she went back to work. Her husband is a small business owner, and she went back to work specifically to get health insurance because um, that was the only way they could get affordable health care was for her working. And yes, she's got a job, and yes, she's got this health care insurance, but now she's paying out all this money for child care, and it's like she's just working just so that she can have health insurance. And those are the kind of decisions that many of us are making, um, and it makes it hard. It makes it hard to save money to send your kids to college when health care rates are eating up, um, you know, which, what, what you make before you take it home. Um, and in this country, we live in America. This is the absolute best country in the world. And there isn't any reason that people shouldn't be able to go and get um, quality health care. And it makes no sense to me to tell someone, a hardworking person, um, you can either pay X amount of dollars for this health insurance or not have any and not be able to get a um, health insurance from the government. But if I get sick, you know, and have a stroke tomorrow, then I can get on Medicare. And you can spend all this money not only having the stroke rehabilitate me and everything else. When up front, if I could have just gone to the doctor a couple times, you know, a year and and got good quality uh preventive health care, we could have avoided all of this. Um health care uh, yes, sir. Oh, okay, I thought you was getting ready to uh to ask me uh, a question. I said, uh, are we talking about taxes, jobs, education, oh, and criminal justice. That is um, a huge issue uh, for many segments of our society, um, not just black and brown people, but our justice system is not distributed equitably in this country. And now it has become a for-profit business preying on people who already don't have money. Those are my top five. That's a big one. Now, the last one you just talked about, the criminal justice reform. Um, could you talk about um, what obstacles you have personally uh, been through to get where you are today? Tell your story. Oh, okay, because I was going to ask you, where am I today? Because right now I'm just sitting here with you. You know, how do I get here in this room? That's what you want to know. Oh, how do you get here today? <laughs> and making a decision to run for office. I mean, uh, it's a big decision to go out and make a decision to run for office. So uh, what what stories, what what, plan, what 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 obstacles have you personally experienced? The obstacles that I've experienced that I believe um, make me a, uh, the best candidate for Nebraska's um, second con congressional district is um, many of the same obstacles that um, everybody faces. You know, I've been um, a single mom. Um, I've been 
the caretaker of a child who has a um, disability. I have take care, taken care of parents who were dying um, and Medicare refused to let them be in a nursing home because they weren't sick enough, you know, so, so my sisters and I had to take care of them. Um, I'm a small business owner and know what the struggles are of trying to uh, run a small business. Um, I have uh, been in the in uh, the working world, you know, for 22 years. I worked for what was Quest Communications, and now it's called CenturyLink, you know, the phone company. Mm -hmm. And I worked there for 22 years and was a proud member of Communication Workers Local 7400, where I also served as a union steward. And I understand the importance of unions and the deterioration of unions in this country is the reason why, one of the reasons why no one's out there protecting the, us working folks. You know, what the unions gave the worker, whether your job was union or not, was a place to start to be fair. And not just the workers that it represented, but also management. And unions, unions ensure that you worked in safe working conditions. You know, unions made sure that you didn't have babies working sweatshops, you know. Um, unions made sure that, um, you know, jobs were, uh, people were treated fairly on jobs, you know, and that you didn't get fired for no reasons. And something else that union did, unions did, and people, you don't hear people talk about this a lot, but unions really did a lot um, after the civil rights movement to bring people together, to make folks understand that it really doesn't matter what color you are or what religion you are or who you love, you know, we all have some common struggles and if we all work together, you know, our common struggles uh, will get solved. Uh, the union was very, very instrumental in, in, in bringing folks together. Um, and now we don't, we, we don't have that strong uh, union fellowship anymore. Oh, okay. You keep looking at me and putting your hand up. I think that you're asking me another question. Uh, you asked me what else, um, you know, my story. Uh, I, got a, I got a lot of stories. I've been through so much in my life. Um, I'm a native of Omaha. I was born and raised here. My mother was a graduate of Central High School in 1960. And uh, she, go Eagles. She went to uh, the military. My mother was in the United States Navy. And she went to the Navy because she wanted to get out of Omaha and her parents wouldn't let her go to school um, out of town. Uh, my father was also a uh, member of the United States Navy. All of his brothers were in the military. Uh, yeah, you know, so I come from a military family. My grandfather, who was a, a well-known jazz musician in Omaha, his name was Basie Givens. And during World War II, he worked at the bomber plant in Bellevue um, building, uh, building bomber planes. Um, my grandmother was one of the first black women to uh, work for the Douglas County Sheriff's Department. 
Her name was Lena McClarity. Uh, she retired from uh, Douglas County Corrections. She was a correctional officer in the jail downtown. And I, this is a, I have, I have a million stories. So my grandmother never drove. Um, she caught the bus to work when she worked as a correctional officer. She uh, caught the bus to work. She worked second shift. And my mom picked her up at night and at 11 o'clock. Uh, and we would ride past like 19th and Douglas. And now we're talking like 1978, 77. And my grandmother would see the prostitutes walking, you know, 19th and Douglas. And she's like, Pat, stop the car, stop the car. My grandmother would get out the car and go talk to the ladies because she had seen them in the jail. And she'd be like, so-and-so and such and such, you told me you wasn't coming back out here on the streets. You know, and here you are again. My grandmother was an amazing person. And she would give the women um, money or if they were hungry, she would make my mom go buy them food, you know. And, and she even, um, you know, helped some women find places to stay, you know, and things like that. So um, helping people and, and connecting the dots, that's something that uh, I've seen an example of in my family all of my life. And um, it's always been so, it's something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to run for um, office. Uh, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be the president of IBM. Who wants to do that when they were eight? I did. And most kids would play with dolls and, and Barbies, and I had those things. But I would play office. I would set up an office in my bedroom and have one of my friends come over, and she would be my secretary. And I'd be back there typing on this old typewriter my mother had, pretending like I was a president. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, my parents taught me to... Um, to be a defender of people, uh, particularly those who don't have a voice. So I never thought my life took a path for me to run for office because, um, you know, I was a single mom. I had my first child um, my senior year of high school. I turned 18 May 5th. Um, I had my first child May 7th, and I graduated from high school May 19th. I went to Marion. Go Crusaders! Uh, this all happened in 1985. Um, you know, and so, um, I just never thought that my life took the path of a politician. Um, I'm not an attorney, I'm not a five-star general, you know, I'm not a billionaire salesman or anything like that. Uh, however, in the last five, six years, um, I'm really concerned about the direction our country is going in and the people who are representing us. And when I say us, I'm not just talking about black and brown people. People, I'm talking about the folks that get up every day and go to a job or to a small business or go to their farm. There aren't enough people in Washington representing us and our concerns and the things that concern us. And so, um, so then what are you gonna do? And my mama taught me, if you don't like the way something's Way something's going, you go get involved. And so here I am um, running for Congress because my desire is to truly serve the folks of the second district. And that's everybody in the second district. Not just certain parts of the city, not just certain types of people, but everybody. Everyone's right in this country is for their um, thoughts 
their concerns to be heard. And that's what I want to do. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, this has kind of been like a hot topic this whole year on the federal level more so than the local level. But I just think about it a lot. Um, do you have a black agenda? Do you? Because I know you said like it's, it's about everybody, but historically, black people have been left out and haven't had an equitable share or equitable opportunity to live the American dream. So do you have a black agenda to address centuries of oppression and discrimination and everything that's happened to our people on a federal level to improve our communities? That is a really good uh, question, Terrell. And I'm a part of that black agenda. Me running for Congress is a part of that agenda. We need more of us represented in Congress. Um, my stance on uh, criminal justice reform, that we've got to do some things because who's, who, what population you know, makes up most of the prison population? You know, it's black and brown people. Um, I think that if there's going to be um, true, a true black agenda, um, we need to figure out what that is, right? We do. I'm talking about, you know, us. Um, and then we need to execute what that agenda is. You know, I, I cannot have a black agenda on my own. You know, I, I truly, truly believe that if, if we're going to have an agenda as a people, that we've got to work together um, in order to do that and then agree upon it. Um, and unfortunately, that's been the hard thing for us is us coming together and trying to agree upon, you know, this is what we're going to do. And what I would love to see, um, particularly here um, in, in, in Omaha, is for us to, um, you know, in North Omaha, you know, decide uh, where we would like to see this part of the city go in what direction and what role we're going to play in that and then set a plan to do so, execute it, and follow through. That's what I would love to see. Do you believe the, um, the president has done anything wrong in asking foreign governments to investigate a political opponent? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Yes. Um, that money had already been appropriated to go uh, to the Ukrainian and it was um, the wrong thing for him to do to imply um, wanting somebody outside of America to find, you know, dig up some dirt on his political opponent. Um, why would we want, we already knew what the result <laughs> of that was, you know, because it happened in 2016, you know, and why would we want some outside influences dictating what goes on in our, um, in our country? Um, yes, the answer to your question is yes. Yes, I believe what he did was wrong. Yes. Um, what sets you apart from your opponents that would make you the, be the candidate that be, that would be most effective in Washington 
to address all these issues? Um, I think what sets me apart, as I said before, um, are my experiences. Um, uh, I'm not a normal uh, politician. Mm -hmm. You know, most people that run for office come from a wealthy family or they have access to um, wealth. Uh, their experience is very different from mine. Um, I'm that person who you see riding on the bus going to work. I'm that person that you see uh, uh, shoveling the snow, you know, in, in front of their business because I got people coming into the restaurant, you know, to come and eat. I'm that person um, who's concerned about the education that our kids are not getting um, in our public schools. I'm that person um, who's out here trying to find alternatives for me to get medical treatment because I don't have medical insurance. I'm that person who is struggling with other family members um, trying to get money together to pay for uh, an attorney for a loved one that we have that's in the criminal justice system, you know, got arrested on some charges that most people would get a slap on the hand for, you know, and are, are you know, facing 30 and 40 years for offenses that, you know, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. You know, I'm that person, um, again, who understands what it is to take care of a sick person. You know, my mother died of uh, uh, leukemia and lymphoma, and her uh, chemotherapy medicine was $10,000 a month, $10,000. Who can afford that? Nobody. Not very many people. Um, you know, but fortunately, she had uh, physicians around her, you know, her doctors, um, who helped her find programs that would pay, um, you know, pay that expense for her. Um, you know, so I'm that person who understands what the real struggle many Americans are going through today. You know, I've got grown children, three grown children, and two of them um, are living at home with me because it's easier for all of us to live together, you know, than for us to, uh, to live uh, separately. Um, I have a grandson, you know, and his mom, she was working two jobs, you know, before school started. When school started, she quit her second job so that she could be at home and put him to bed and all those kinds of things. But if she didn't live with me, she would still have to work two jobs, you know, to make ends meet. And that, that, that issue with jobs and people not being able to make enough money to take care of themselves off of one job, it affects a whole bunch of things, how our kids act in school. You know, um, how, how um, our relationships, you know, with our uh, loved ones, you know, whether you're married or unmarried, single, got a girlfriend, whatever. But that, that affects many things. Um, what else sets me apart? Um, you know, just my, my experience has been, I'm not a politician. I'm not that person who has spent their career um, listening to special interest groups of big business. <laughs> uh, we see, we are seeing more and more issues get split along party lines, which is leading to more issues deadlocked in Congress with no movement. What issues are you willing to cross party lines to address? 
if we are going to address the needs of Americans, we're going to have to cross the line on everything. You know, it just blows my mind that what's going on now uh, in Washington, we can't get anything done because you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat. That makes no sense to me. In the meantime, you know, while we're arguing about, you know, ideological differences, nothing's getting done in the country and people are still hurting. The beautiful thing about America is you can have your opinion and I can have my opinion and you can have your opinion, but we're going to figure out a way, you know, where everybody, uh, you know, gets to be a part of the decision and we can live with the decision that we all agreed upon. You know, you might have to give up a little bit of what you want, and I'm gonna give up a little bit of what I want, but the outcome is going to be good for everybody. That's a great thing about this country. But we seem to have thrown it out the door. In the meantime, we're all suffering because of that. So I'm willing to work with anybody, I don't care what, what party you're affiliated with, who wants to do some things that are truly going to make um, it easier for the folks that are struggling um, here in this country. We're, we, we've got to. Do you have a plan to create, I don't know, some type of coalition with other elected officials to get these things done? Because I think right now we have a lot of black elected officials, but they all don't work together, which is part of the reason we still kind of face the same problems. So do you have some type of plan or idea to get them all to the table so these, so these problems can be addressed properly? I don't have a plan per se, and to be honest with you, I thought that that was something that, you know, went on on a regular basis. Um, but what I'm going to put out there is that um, whomever, you know, come 2020, whomever gets elected, whomever it is from our community, um, and you talking about black folks, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm just going to put it out there, you know, 2020. Whoever's in the public office, we need to get together. We need to get together and come up with an agenda and, and make some plans. So I'm putting it out there. Is the tariff-based approach to dealing with Chinese trade practices the most effective solution for Nebraska consumers and producers? Because they're the ones being hit the most by the tariff, is the consumers. Um, so, so can we talk about a little bit about what tariffs are? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so because I had to go get some, you know, <laughs> knowledge about this to understand how these tariffs affects me. And bottom line, um, the policy that our president has taken around tariffs is hurting everybody. It's hurting us as consumers because we're paying more for the things that we buy. And it is wreaking havoc and devastation on our farmers because what the president did, and I had to go and ask. So I have a, a, a I'm calling him a new friend. Uh, his name is Graham, and he's a farmer. And I had to, uh, I called him and asked him to explain this situation to me because I wanted to know from someone who's in the trenches um, how this tariff policy is affecting the, par and the farmers. And so what he explained to me is, um, you know, it was already a bad situation what the farmers had with tariffs and the type of negotiations that um, the president has done has just taken a bad situation and made it worse. Um, I was reading a, an article and he was also telling me that 
Um, like in 2017, you know, uh, we sold like 91, 92 billion dollars in grains. You know, we exported um, grains, and in the last you know couple of years, that's gone down um, to just like you know nine billion. Well, that's hurting farmers. And I'm a small business owner, so I get it, you know. And 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 my thing is chicken. So if I go fry all this chicken today, right? and I cook all this chicken and nobody comes to buy it, I'm losing. Well, that's fine if it happens one day, but if it keeps happening day after day after day, I'm cooking all this chicken, buying all this chicken, nobody's buying it. After a month, I mean, I'm hurting. I'm, you know, on the verge of having to shut my business down. And that's where the farmers are. You know, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, but they can't get their products uh, exported because of the way that the current administration has chosen to um, negotiate those tariffs. So it's not good for anybody. First of all, I'd like to applaud, applaud you for being so honest that you had to go research um, this particular issue around tariffs. Um, most people won't put themselves in that situation and say, I don't know. And I, <laughs> I need to go do some research. So that's if, one, one if, of the things. If I'm going to be the uh, next congresswoman for Nebraska's second district, I'm gonna to have to do that a lot. You know, go and find out for myself, not go listen to what somebody else is telling me. I gotta go find it out for myself. Yes. Um have you um when when you talked about education, and I think it's one of the most important things that we need to kind of deal with. What are some ideas that you have been thinking about as far as addressing, addressing education? Well, some of the ideas I have, uh, that's such a, a broad topic. Um, however, so we need to have great teachers. Well, how can we get great teachers? Right, and if you think about, I'm a person that loves history, and I love connecting the dots of things that happen historically. So um, it used to be that a woman could only be like a nurse or a teacher. You know, talking about early 1900s, you know, 20s, 30s, and 40s. You know, those were the kind of jobs that women could have. And so the brightest, the smartest, you know, women went and, went and they were teachers, you know? So you had the best of the best teaching our children. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen now, but where we are now is I go to college, I need to get some loans to finish college, and I graduate from college. And when I graduate, I would really love to teach. My passion is teaching but I got $60,000 worth of debt, and I'm a good teacher. You know, I know how to engage my students, I know how to draw the best out of them, and I really wanna go teach. But I got $60,000 of debt, then these loans I gotta pay. So I go apply for the teaching job, and they're like, okay, Gladys, yep, we love you, and oh, you're wonderful, and we can pay you $38,000 a year. And I know that after you know, rent, my car payment, insurance, groceries. Gotta get my hair done every couple weeks. Paying my student loans. That that's not gonna be enough money. So 
So I go to company XYZ and they're like, oh Gladys, you're wonderful. And we're gonna pay you $90,000 a year. What am I gonna go do? I'm gonna go take the job where I gotta pay, where I'm gonna get paid the $90,000 a year. Um, so we need to have some kind of incentives. While I'm going back to, we need to have some type of incentives for teachers to teach. And not just an incentive that, um, okay, you know, we'll give you free college and you come give us five years and boom, you gone. Because there are some kind of incentives like that now, you know, and um, it's not doing our kids any good. Or she works for like a nonprofit for 10 years today. Yes, yeah. yes. So we need to offer some true um, incentives for teachers that will encourage them to stay in the school and the incentive is to pay them what they worth. <laughs> Particularly in this era that we live in, it's challenging to be a teacher. Everyone doesn't, it, it used to be in this country, and this is just Gladys's personal thought, you know, it used to be in this country there were some things that we were all taught at home, you know? I don't care if you lived in a black home, Italian home, it didn't matter. There were some things that we were all, you know, taught at home. And when you went to school, you know, the things you were taught at home, you did them at school. Um, that doesn't necessarily happen now. And we've got uh, teachers trying to be more than teachers. You know, they're having to be counselors and parents and beauticians and therapists and, and everything else. And we're, we're, we're asking a lot for our teachers um, but we, we needed some incentives to give the teachers the best of the best, uh, so that our students get the best of the best. We need to change how we um, determine whether a school is doing well or failing. We need to change that criteria. Um, the tests that are given, you know, they used to call them Iowa basic tests. I'm aging myself, how old I am. They called them Iowa basic tests back in my day. I'm not sure what we're called now. Um, I don't think those tests really measure what a child learns or not learns um, because again, and, and we all know that the tests are biased. Um, we all know that. We need to put more money in education. You know, there's been so much money taken away from education in our current administration. Um, the person who's over our education department, um, she certainly uh, does not, at least from the things that I have witnessed her do, support and valuing, you know, education. I think the worst thing that we can do is, um, you know, some people like charter schools, but I don't think charter schools will be good. We need to grow the strength of our um, of our public school system. I do believe that uh, teachers should get paid for what they're worth. But let me ask you another question to that. Do you think teachers' pay should be based on performance? Do I think teachers' pay should be based on performance? That's too broad of a that's too broad of a question because there's too many um, variables that go into that. Uh, for example, what's my class size? If I got 50 kids. And I'm exaggerating. If I got 30 kids in one class, should it be based on pay? Mm-mm. Because I'm probably not going to be able to give all 30 of those kids enough attention. If it's five, 
or 10? Yes. Um, do I have the right tools to teach my kids? Are my books outdated? Do I have, you know, the latest, do I have computers for my kids to, to access all kinds of information? Um, there, there's too many variables to, to, to give you a definitive answer to that. However, if you have schools um, that are graduating and passing kids on who are unable to read, unable to do basic math, um, we know that we have a problem there. And the, re the reason why I ask you that question is so many kids are graduating from OPS and can't read their diploma. They have set a standard where if you get a D, if you just come to class, go to sleep, you can get a D and pass. That's unacceptable. So I, I think on that particular instance, it should be based on whether or not your child is able to, when he graduates, read his diploma and be at the level that he's supposed to be at. But we have a lot of teachers who are coming in and have no connection to our community. And that's why so many of the schools are failing. Eight of the lowest performing schools are located in your district. And I think the biggest thing with that is getting more teachers that look like us, male and female. And also, I, I believe if you work in any public office, you work for any school or anything, you should have to take recurrent cultural diversity, equity, whatever type of training that is, you need to take it more than once a year. It should be recurrent. And if something happens, you should take it more and more. Because until that happens, they really understand our kids and our issues, then our kids will still be failed because they look at a bad kid like he's just a bad kid, but nobody's taking the time to say, hey, this little boy didn't go to sleep last night. His cousin got shot. Some, no, nobody's thinking about that. They just send him to school. He act out, oh, he bad, send him home for five days in the same environment that caused why he acted out. And nobody's taking that time. Um, but one thing that I want you to fight for is, is uh, student loan forgiveness. I know that's right. <laughs> I know that's right. Because, man, because I, I just feel like, what was the purpose for going to school if you're going to be in debt the rest of your life? I think I, I just felt like I was sold a dream that go to school, go to college, get a good education, you get a good job, and you be able to pay this stuff off. But when you really look at it, it's like, man, this is kind of impossible because you still got to live life. You still got to take care of your family. You got bills. It, it's like, come on, it, you just set people up for failure, which what, what pretty much happened. And I just think, and I think I saw an article that says, like, even a lot of economists are saying, like, if you forgive the loans, it will boost the boost the economy, and I believe it will because it takes a lot of it will take a lot of stress off of people, and it will allow them to reinvest and do more things. But once you get, if you got this, it's people like sixty years old still paying student loans. It's crazy. It's wild. <laughs> you you are you are exactly right. And what I want to know is why is it so expensive? Does it really need to be that expensive? And from my own personal experience, my um, youngest child um, uh, did three years of college. And the amount of money she paid just to live on campus was more than 
the going to school and that doesn't make any sense yep. to me you know she wound up coming back home um, but how much of this student loan debt that um, our children incur is really for the education and how much of it is it just for living expenses um, uh, there there's a definite problem there and um, going back to we're told you know go to college go to college go to college go to college college ain't for everybody and there are some careers that you can have um, by learning a trade, being an electrician, being a plumber, uh, doing HVAC, right? You can make great money, great money. And it's a shame that um, technical high school, you know, closed, because they used to do that at Tech. For those of you that don't know, you know, Tech would be a place where you could go um, get the beginnings of learning plumbing and electrical work and uh, and things like that, and then graduate and go get in the union and get you a job. They're always going to be building something. I don't care what's going on in the world or how uh, technology technologically advanced we are. There's always going to be something being built um, and something being made, and those are great, um, great, great careers for people. Well, I almost jumped out of the ship because that's what we're really pushing. And a lot of our folks who have these criminal issues, the trades is the best direction for them to go because you don't have all the different barriers that come along with that. So I'm so glad that you uh, uh, support the trades. And, uh, uh, and the food service, them. too. If, if you are someone, and that's what my mother believed in. You know, my mother believed that uh, the culinary field was a great way for um, someone with a record to be able to earn um, a wonderful living. Um, in uh, the economy that we're living in right now, there are really a lot of jobs that can you can get. And I'm not talking about working at Burger King, McDonald's, um, you know, or even working at Big Mama's, but I'm talking about being executive chefs, um, you know, runner, running the catering department at a big hotel. You know, there, there's money in that. There, there's money in that, and it's a great place um, for someone with a record to to be able to make a great living. We've seen it, um, you know, many times uh, at Big Mama. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Because you don't just talk to talk; you walk to walk. You believe in second chances, and so did your mom. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my mother, when she opened up the restaurant, of course she did it because she loved food and she loved to feed people. Um, but my mother understood that business is also a part of the community and that business should give back to the community. And so um, my mom's thing was always that we would hire felons because not everybody um, who goes to jail um, is a bad person. Some people make uh, bad decisions. Hell, I did. Heck, I did it. Um, some people make bad decisions and need a second chance and want a second chance and deserve a second chance and that's what we did at big mama's I mean we've had employees oh that means i'm done check, check. yep that means i'm done i got okay oh, that's one's gone too that tree is off that one says i'm on check 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 okay. um
you know, businesses, uh, corporate responsibility to the community that they belong to. And so we always hire a felon. Um, and, and that's because uh, we had experience in our own family, uh, people giving our relatives second chances. Yes. And so we've had employees, you know, who was in jail on Tuesday, uh, got released came to Big Bottles on Wednesday, you know, got a job and went on to um, do wonderful things. Um, my mother always wanted um, to start a scholarship for students, um, actually for felons, a culinary scholarship. Because uh, when you're a felon, it's almost impossible for you to get like Pell Grants and stuff. You know, being a felon really cuts you out of a lot of things. And so when she passed away, uh, we, my sisters and I started um, the Patricia Big Mama Baron Culinary Scholarship Fund at Metro. And it's a scholarship that you can apply for if you, you know, got a record. And it helps with your tuition and books and your tools and your coat and everything. And um, it's, you know, we put money into that, you know, all year round. And we've given, uh, we've had one recipient so far because it's just been around for, you know, since she passed away. And it is an amazing program. Um, but, and, and we'll always be a place uh, who believes in giving folks second chances. Yeah. I think there's, I'm not sure if it's a Pell Grant, but I know Metro, like they apply for some type of waiver that allow them to give resources to felons and people that have been incarcerated. And I know uh, the other universities, I don't know why they don't do it, but they don't. Uh, but another thing I think which is important that we should, that I would like for you to address in, in that office is uh, raising a minimum wage. I think that's really important. I, I think 15 is a start, but there should be some type of plan to have it increase over some years so it could catch up to the inflation rate. Because $15 is good, but it, you still need, I think right now, minimum wage really should be about $20 an hour. And I just, that's one of the biggest things. Like, how can we find a way to get it up to where it's supposed to be and it don't get stagnant again for 30 years? I think that's a huge problem. Like. Well, so so when I have on my business owner hat, and you say that you want to pay somebody $20 an hour, uh, and I'm a restaurant owner, that means I'm going to have to charge you $80 for your chicken. That's, that, that's what I first think when I put on, you know, my business hat. And then I also think, you know, to that, well, why should I pay some 14-year-old kid living at home with his mama $14 an hour, $20 an hour to come and sweep my floor. You know what I mean? Why, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, when I have on my business owner hat. Um, however, when I um, put on um, still my business owner hat and uh, my I'm going to be the next congresswoman hat, um, I'm thinking about ways, what can I do and what decisions can I make about how much profit my business takes me takes personally to allow for me to create opportunities where I can pay my people more. Mm 
Because I say that because, like, again, like, like reading articles and stuff, I think it's been shown that even if it raises, it, it won't have as big of an effect on businesses and business owners as it's been told. And I think that's a, like, a, it's a myth that if you raise it, it's going to destroy small businesses. And I don't think it will. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, saying oh, that no, it, yeah. I'm not saying that it will um, either. And Seattle is a great place where they've shown um, that, yes, you can raise the minimum wage. And no, it's not going to stop people from coming out to eat. Um, and I also know that if we if if the minimum wage is raised, that really means that everybody's going to make a little bit more money. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I say do it in like increments over time, mm -hmm. not just smack. Oh, let's pay your employee twenty dollars. Take some time so businesses can adjust to the raise. I totally agree with you. Yep. I totally agree with you. Um, uh, something else that we look at though too is you know. <laughs> Um, the pricing structure for you know how much we pay for the goods and services uh, that we pay for you know as consumers you know and people don't like it when you say stuff like that but something's gotta give somewhere you either have to pay people more money, right, so that they can make ends meet, or you've got to lower the price of the things that I need to live every day. Something's got to give somewhere. But I think what also has to give, I think there should be more relief to small business owners like you when you guys are when you guys are purchasing goods and and things you need for your business. You shouldn't be paying a high price for some of this stuff. It should be some type of relief for you so you can buy those goods, pay your employees good, and still be able to survive as a business. And to be able to grow. Yeah. So b before we get too far into this, do you have a website or a Facebook page? Oh, thank you for that. Yes, I do. Um, so if you want more information about uh, me and my campaign and what I'm all about, uh, you can visit my website. It's Gladys for congress.com uh, there you can of course um, donate to my campaign which is really important you know what I have found out um, through this process is um, you got to have a lot of money to run a campaign on this level um, and that's why many folks like me do not run because they don't have the money to do so or the access to people that have the money to do so. Um, because, and this is what I believe, that there are many people who are going to agree with me and why I'm running and what I'm all about and what I represent, right? right. Who got five, ten dollars? Who can go to GladysForCongress.com and click on the <laughs> donate button and donate five or ten dollars? And I, and, and, I, and I have people that do that, and it means so much to me. Because um, I know how hard it is for people, you know, to make ends meet, to come and donate to my campaign. So 
Um, and then at the bottom, yes, I got I have a Facebook page and I have a Twitter account and an Insta uh, Instagram account. And at the bottom of my website, there are little symbols that you can click on to like and follow me. And I need everybody's help. This is something I cannot do alone. Um, it's something that I need the community's help with. So again, you know, if you uh, like what you heard today or you want to know more about me, um, there's a place where you can email me. If you would love for me to come and you want to host a party at your house and invite some of your friends and family so that we can come and talk about issues and you can learn a little bit more about me, I would love, love, love to do that. Love to do that. You know, um, you talked about it, I guess, throughout this, this, this whole interview about how money is such a factor when you run for congressional uh, seat and so much of it. So would you like, like to speak on the money should not be a catalyst for that? Uh, yeah, so there's an organization called um, uh, In Citizens United and they're all about making um, our political process fair, you know, particularly when it comes to congressional and uh, presidential, you know, and Senate levels because of the enormous amounts of money it takes to even get in, in the race. Yep. And so it leaves a lot of people out. You know, I just found out to, to for me to file in the state of Nebraska to run for Congress, is it 1500 or $1,700? $1,700. So just, yes. So if you ain't got the seventeen hundred, you could be the best candidate in the world. But if you don't have that seventeen hundred dollars to go and file, it takes you out of the game. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, so the the living the the, the playing field um, definitely needs to be leveled um, to allow a better representation of all of us in the politics of our our, our government by, um, and I'm not saying removing the money, the money piece, um, <laughs> but right now, you know, the person who, who has the most money is more than likely the one that's gonna get elected because it's gonna put you in front of more people. You can buy more TV time and, you know, you can put more mailers in folks' mailbox and you can put up more, you know, yard signs. Um, but what I'm really hoping is that with um, social media and the internet, you know, that I'm able to drum up um, support from people just, uh, you know, by the, the sheer fact that they like what I'm all about and would love to see me uh, represent Nebraska's second district. So what's your plan to support Nebraska low unemployment rate while addressing the aging workforce? Say that again. Repeat 